I want to begin by talking about that not all of us have had the opportunity of being together all year. So if you are brand new and maybe you just came out to Easter and now this is your second time with us, or maybe you're relatively new to the church, I'm just going to bring you up to speed. We do yearly themes here at Bridgeway, and this year's theme is becoming. And what we mean is becoming all that God designed you to be. Every single one of us have these beautifully unique God stories to kind of walk out in our lives. And there's things we can do that align with that, and there's stuff that we do that, well, not so much aligns with that, right? But when I talked on Easter, I addressed a very specific issue And I want to take a little bit more time to flesh that out in a little bit slower fashion, right? So we had this Easter where my message ended up being about 18 minutes. If you got used to that, I am so going to disappoint you. Just letting you know, you're like, man, I just came to this church. I love this place. That guy doesn't talk very long. Yeah, I'm going to blow that out of the water, right? Because I always talk much longer than that. But in there, what I talked about was that there is a beginning of our journey together, that we need to all be transformed by the Lord. And I want to take that piece, that one piece, and then tell you some stories that lead up to it, and then we're going to slow the whole thing down, actually only focused on three verses, some of the most famous verses in the entire Bible, and we're going to talk about what it means for you and I, right? We're going to get into it quite a bit and rather deeply. But here's a couple things I wanna begin with and it's gonna draw your attention to the fill in the blank here in a moment. But I just need to say this. The title of today's message is we believe before we become. We believe before we become. Because all this year I'm gonna be talking about becoming. Man, there's so much good stuff with God and there's adventures with God. You can become connected to that adventure. I'm gonna talk about supernatural signs and wonders. That could be a part of your journey as you become more and more who God designed you to be. I'm gonna talk about forgiveness and cleansing and new mercies every day. And all of that is as we are becoming who God designed us to be. But we need to believe before we can become. There's a gate that we all need to walk through so that we can enjoy the expansive glories of God, right? And I wanna talk a little bit about that, that gate. And taking off on that theme that we talked about in Easter, right? Rebuild. Just write this line down. There is no good renovation on a faulty foundation. There is no good renovation on a faulty foundation. We were talking about, you know, renovating a house and what would it look like to be able to rebuild this and tear down that wall and what if the Lord's like, hey, I never intended for that room, how about we blow that wall out, right? But do you understand that if you have a foundation problem, you gotta dig all the way down and get that removed because no matter what you build from that point forward, it's all gotta come down at some point. You know, a number of Years ago, I got a chance to go with my brother to Italy. We went to the Leaning Tower of Pisa, right? And, you know, it was one of those things where our train was going by. We're like, we've got to stop. We're not staying here. But you can't go through this area without seeing it, right? I mean, this is like a world landmark, and everyone has to take the pictures where they're, like, leaning and holding it up, you know, that kind of thing. Um, 
I'll tell you what's more impressive than the Leaning Tower is the entire church next to it. Uh, it is only a bell tower. Do you know that? The whole Leaning Tower, and it's massive. It's simply a bell tower for the bigger church. The church is 10 times that big. It is so massive. Well, of course, we all know the story about why it's leaning and that the, the foundation underneath was not laid strong enough, and so the weight of the building made it start tilting. Now, in years past, they, they were like, all right, it's going to fall down, so we, we have to fix it. And they stopped it from leaning. They actually moved it back upright a little bit. And they were thinking about, why don't we just redo the foundation and straighten it? Well, then everyone's like, well, that's lame. I mean, you can't have the leaning tower or the straight tower of Pisa. No one wants to see the straight tower of Pisa, right? I mean, you got to have the leaning tower. That kind of is the whole tourist gig. So they decided not to straighten it. But in order to straighten it, and even in order to hold it where it was, they had to go all the way under it and start its foundation all over again. This is what I'm talking about. That there is a foundational piece that may be deeper than you thought. If you're following along on the app, this is the fill in the blank for you. Write this down. To enter heaven, we must be born again. To enter heaven, we must be born again. Now, there is no start over phrase like born again. Whatever that means, it sounds pretty intense, I'll tell you that. But in order to enter heaven, we must be born again. So here's kind of how I wanted to say it in this series. If we're going to become who God made us to be, it begins with starting over. If we are going to become who God made us to be, it begins was starting over. You know John 3.16, yeah? For God so loved the world. You know, you see it and on the signs. That's why I said it's probably the most famous verse in the Bible. Do you realize that that comes out of a story? Jesus was in a dialogue with a guy when that all came out. We all kind of want to focus on that one verse, and there's a reason why it's the most popular verse. It is powerful. If we only just soaked in that one verse for the rest of our lives, we would probably do well. But there's a whole entire story that leads up to it, and it makes it even more rich when you learn the rest of the story. So I'm going to tell you the story, and then we're going to read it together, all right? So here's how the story works. You see, Back in Jesus' day, there were these Jewish leaders, they were the religious leaders, and over time, different leader groups would come and go. Well, in Jesus' day, the ones that were at the top were called the Pharisees. And they were known as, I know the Bible, I do everything right people. Now, I want to give you a real quick hint if you've not been around church people before, but if you're brand new to the, the church scene, not so much a bridgeway, but if you go to other religious groups, I got to tell you how you can get ahead, right? Let me give you a real hint on how you can get mad respect real fast. You have to be critical of everyone, right? Like if you're critical of everybody else, you go up in status. And here's why. They figure you would never talk about them being wrong if you weren't doing it right. So as long as you're critical of everybody else, they're like, man, that person must be legit. They do everything right. There's no way they would say bad stuff about somebody else if they have sin in their own life. So if you want to get more popular and more up in the echelon in most places, just be critical of everybody. All right. So the Pharisees were critical 
of everybody. They were the only ones that had dedicated their whole lives to rules and regulations. They were the religion experts. Remember, religion means it's man's way of trying to earn their way to God. Well, they mastered that. As a matter of fact, here's kind of how they owned it. They took God seriously, which I appreciate. As a matter of fact, God had laid down a bunch of commands in the Old Testament, and so they looked at those and they said, we're going to take this so seriously, we're going to do it perfectly. But here's the problem. God didn't give them enough details. So what they started doing is saying, well, if we're going to do this and we want to do it to the extreme, we should do this, this, and this. And they started adding stuff in. So by the time they got done with it, they had this huge, massive code that they could only follow. And they would look down on everybody else. Well, it doesn't mean that just because they were super legalistic, it doesn't mean that they didn't love God. Didn't mean that they weren't trying to do good things. Didn't mean that they didn't think that religion was the answer. They were pretty moral. As a matter of fact, if we're going to talk about morality, man, they were nails. They didn't do anything wrong. So one of those guys comes and visits Jesus one night. His name is Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to him at night. Why do you think he came at night? Because his crew is not pro-Jesus. Let's just call it that way, right? So he's like, hey, man, I'm going to get a lot, more, a lot less heat at home if I kind of go under the cover of night. Shows up, and he was drawn to Jesus knowing that, listen, I know religion. What this guy has going on is like a whole new level. Something's different about him. So let's make it personal. If you keep coming to church, you came back from last week. Why? Because there's something, you don't know about all the details, you don't know about all the other churchy stuff, you don't know, but you know there's something about Jesus that's different. I mean, if we wanna talk about and take a poll out of America, a lot of people will be like, yeah, I love Jesus, not so sure about the church but I love Jesus because he's unique. He's different. There's something powerful about who he is. Well, Nicodemus picked up on it. So he comes in and he wants to have some deep conversations. Well, they end up talking about the idea of the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God to a religious person means where God lives, heaven. And when we're talking about that, that's like the end goal. That's where everybody wants to go. So religious people want to go to heaven? All right, cool. So he starts talking to Jesus about the kingdom of God. But Jesus blows his mind right off the bat by saying this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus didn't get it. It sounds creepy. It sounds impossible, right? Uh, you have to be born again. Well, he's like, listen, I was born once, and I'm quite certain my mom's not going to sign off on a second birth, right? Certainly not me entering the womb and then coming back out again. That is never going to happen, and that's just freaky. So I don't know what you're talking about, right? Hmm. The kingdom of God. The most important thing, and Jesus blows his mind with that phrase, Unless you're born again. Listen, I don't know what born again means, but it sounds extreme. 
right? Okay, he's all about extreme. So he starts digging in a little bit more and Jesus goes on another cryptic message. Here's what he says this time, and I'll paraphrase. If you wanna be with God who is spirit, you must be born of the spirit. Well, that didn't help. Man, I thought we were confused already. It's not like you clarified, right? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. What is spirit? What do you, what do you mean? Well, God is other. God is in a different dimension. God's in a whole different reality. We, okay, great. That's the supernatural. I guess we can track on that. And in order to be with God, something has to happen that allows you to interact with his world. That sounds really deep. I still have no idea what he's talking about, but sounds powerful, right? Here's what I think he meant. Write this down. Regular human stuff doesn't make it to heaven. Regular human stuff doesn't make it to heaven. You see, it's got to be different. The problem with human beings is that our stuff, and I'm talking about our bodies, I'm talking about what we care about, things here. The problem is, is that our stuff, due to sin distortion, doesn't belong in heaven. It needs to be transformed into something more. I want you to picture a caterpillar, right? Picture a caterpillar, and the caterpillar always loved the sky. And he's looking around, he's like, I want to go up there, right? And he's seeing all these beautiful butterflies and everything, and he's like, man, that is legit. I want to be there. And so what he decides to do is work out. And I'm talking about he wants to be a ripped caterpillar. I'm talking about he's at the gym, hitting the gym all the time. He is, man, he is eating all the right things, the right leaves. You know, some of those leaves aren't all good for you. So he's eating all the right leaves, and he's like the fastest caterpillar, right? Like he's moving. He's got it all down because he figures if he can just be the best caterpillar, then he'll be able to get in the sky. But I think we're all pretty clear. I mean, not all of us were paying attention in biology, but I'm quite certain that caterpillars don't fly, right? But what if they're really good caterpillars? Still don't fly, because caterpillars don't fly, right? And so here's kind of what science told us. These caterpillars, you see, they end up having to kind of die and go into hibernation, and they go into like these weird little creepy pods, and, and all of a sudden something starts changing in their bodies, and then they emerge with what? Wings. And then they can fly. You see, it's not about being a better caterpillar. It's about being a whole different type of creature. You're like, what does this have to do? You're more cryptic than Jesus. All right, here we go. Ready? I'll make it real basic. Trying to be more moral of a human being, trying to do more good things, that's all religion-based method, and it doesn't count. You see, some of us have bought into this concept that if I'm only good, I can go to heaven. Problem is, you're still a caterpillar. You see, it doesn't matter how good you are. Your good's not good enough. You can't fly there. 
So the question is not about being the best human being you can be. It's about being transformed into something totally different. And in order to do that, there's kind of a death process and a rebirth coming out and suddenly you have wings. If we're going to become what God made us to be, it begins with starting over. Now, Nicodemus is freaking out. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. This is so complicated. Like, why? And this is what Jesus said to make everything worse. This, should conver this conversation should be a lot easier. Like, aren't you the best that Israel has? Like, you are the religious leaders of our people. You should have this stuff nailed. How am I trying and struggling to try to talk with you? I'm talking about God is spirit. And you're like, what does that mean? You know what that means. If I'm talking about you got to be born again, then I'm talking about a transformation process. That's not new information. That's in the Old Testament. You should have been tracking on this. When did our people go so far where we're no longer thinking God thoughts anymore? At what point do we start figuring that everything we see is all that there is? What point do we become practical humanists and practical atheists? At what point are we thinking that stuff in this world matters? At what point do we start buying into this idea that if you get more, that's better? Who cares? You're not taking it with you. At what point do we think that being alive in this place is all that there is? Why did we stop thinking God stuff and start thinking way too practically. Here's what I think is interesting. We, we chose to distance from God and then we complain that he's too far away. That's weird. I'll say that again. We chose to distance from God and then we complain he's too far away. Have you ever complained that he's too far away? I have. I'm praying, I'm not hearing him, he's invisible, right? And we have all these things. And it's not going the way I want it to go and he seems so far away, he seems so far away. I can't hear him, I can't hear him. Do you know why he seems so far away? Because we asked him to. Do you know this part of the story? Okay, so it starts out in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden it says that God walked with his people. You didn't have to wonder, he's right there. And then you could just hang out and talk and have relationship. That's how he wanted it. And what do we do? Well, I kind of want to do my own thing. They sin, get kicked out of the garden. Then God starts talking to him from a distance. He's like, hey, you guys, still love you. Here's what I need from you. But when he talks, it was like the mountains were shaking. Everyone freaks out and says to Moses, can you tell God to stop talking to us? We'd rather him talk to you and you talk to us. And God went and stopped talking oh, I wonder why he feels so distant. We're the ones that did that, not him. And then we're like, oh, you're too far away. How did we get our minds so off the things of God? When we talk about the supernatural now, people are blown away. What? What do you mean there's healing? Okay, hold on. You believe in an invisible God, why is that so hard to believe? Like you're, you're already walking in weird. <laughs> One more step to the right of weird is still in your territory, right? 
Because we only accept a little bit and then we believe that everything else is practical. I'm gonna suggest to you, I don't think anything's practical. It's all supernatural. So then, he throws out this story. And this, thankfully, this is one Nicodemus knew. He knew this, he's like, ha ha, you quoted the Old Testament, I got that one. Here's what he said. The son of man, and he was speaking about the Messiah of who he was. The son of man must be lifted up. Now we later know that means the cross, but at that time they didn't know that. He must be lifted up just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert. And you're like, yeah, not tracking with you. What's that story again? I'm sorry. Do you guys know the story? It's in, it's in the book of Numbers. Let me tell you the story. So Israel's walking through the desert, and they are miserable. They've been walking a long time. I'm talking about 40 years worth, right? So it's like generations. They're just like, all we do is just like, oh, I guess we're moving to that place. I don't know why. Well, along the way, they just kept being frustrated with their circumstances. They wanted more. So they start complaining again. Now, they've been busted for complaining a number of times, but this time they decided to complain again. So they basically come to Moses, and they're like, you're a terrible leader. God, you're a terrible God. I'd rather be a slave again because at least we got burgers. Like, I, like I, out here, we got nothing but this manna stuff, which is just gross after a while. And we just keep every time, oh, where are we going to get water? Where are we going to get water? I hate living in the desert. At least where we lived in Egypt, we had access to water. Like, I'm just stressed out. This is a dumb trip. Well, I don't know if you knew this, but God doesn't like grumbling, right? So he was like, I'm sorry, what did you say? All of a sudden, he brings in fiery serpents. They come into the camp. They just start, they're like really ticked off, angry snakes, right? They're coming in. Why they're biting everybody? I have no idea, right? I surmise that they were at the DMV earlier, and they're just mad. And so now they're like, ah, I'm going to bite. And they're biting everybody. And people are dying. Now, real quick, show of hands. How many of you do not appreciate snakes? Anybody does not like snakes? Yeah, that, okay, great. How many of you, if you knew that they were described as burning snakes and you had fiery snakes, does that make it better? Anyone? Does that make it better for you? Okay, no, no, okay, all right. That's what it means. I don't know if they were red snakes. I don't know if they were just venomous. And they're like, when they bite you, it burns. I don't know why they're called burning snakes, but that's weird, right? So they're biting everyone, and people start dropping dead all over the place, right? So they're like, Moses, we're sorry for saying you're a bad guy. God, we're sorry saying you're a bad guy. Moses, you got to pray for us. Moses is like, all right. So he goes to God, and he's like, God, they're all dying. And God goes, all right, here's what I need you to do. I need you to make a bronze snake, put it on a pole, and lift it up in the middle of the camp so that if anyone gets bit, they can look up at the snake and they will be fine. Moses is like, seriously? Like, that's, that's what we're running with. All righty then. So he makes a snake, puts it on a pole, lifts it up, and he's like, all right, everybody, listen here, listen, listen. Okay, if you've been bitten, in order to be healed, you need to look up at the snake pole, right? Now, 
if you've been bitten by a snake, what's the last thing you probably want to look at? <laughs> Another snake, right? And so he's like, no, look at the pole. They're like, I don't understand what you're talking about. He's like, look at the pole, and then you're going to be fine. They're like, that doesn't make any sense. He's like, I don't care. Look at the pole, and you'll be fine. No, 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 that's illogical. Look at the pole, and you'll be fine. No, 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 no. Fine. Die then. Like, what, what do you want me to do, man? That's the answer. Look at the snake on the pole. Hmm. Isn't that kind of a weird solution? You know, it makes a lot more sense when you look one level deeper. What was their real problem? What was the people's problem? You see, they were saying things like, you're a bad leader, I wish I could go somewhere else. It almost sounds like they think they're in charge. Right? Would you say that the number one problem Israelites were facing at that time was pride? Right? Because they get to tell who their boss is. What, you know, if you're the boss, you get to tell people what to do. Servants don't get to tell people what to do. Bosses tell people what to do. So their problem was pride. Is it any wonder why God used something so humiliating and embarrassing and humbling and completely illogical to say, until you get off your high horse, you're gonna die. Look at the snake. I don't wanna look at the snake, but all right, that's your problem. Look at the snake. I shouldn't have to look at the snake. I guess we don't have a conversation then, huh? You see, pride's your problem, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna use a method that looks so illogical and silly that until you bow down, you're not gonna be healed. Well, that sounds pretty intense, yeah? Here's the weird thing. It's exactly the same thing as the cross. Do you guys know why humanity fell in the Garden of Eden? Pride. They thought they could call their own shots, right? God told me to do this, nope, I wanna do it my way, that's called pride. Pride led to the fall of all mankind. Is it not intriguing that in order to live, you need to look up at the guy on the cross and by looking at him and believing in him, you will be healed? Well, it shouldn't be that way. I don't understand. There's a lot of ways to heaven. No, there's just one. No, 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 that's illogical. I don't get it. That's not how it should be. We should have a religion where you go through the steps and you earn your way back up. Nope, that's not the way. Look at him because he is your only solution. Well, what do you want me to look at him about? What do you want me to memorize facts? I want you to have a relationship with him. That's stupid. That's a dumb solution to the problem. Then I guess we don't have a conversation. Because until you get off your high horse and realize you got no answer for your afterlife, until you realize you got no answer for your sin, until you realize you're still a caterpillar and he's the only one that can give you wings, I guess we have nothing to talk about. And now we get to the most famous passage of all. If you haven't already, turn with me to John chapter 3, verse 16. I just 
paraphrase verse 1 through 15. And now we're at 16, John 3, 16. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. If you have a different translation, then it's going to sound a little bit different, but we're still going to get the gist, all right? Here we go. Let me just read 16 through 18. That's where I want to spend the rest of our time. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not set his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Weird. How about we take this apart? Because if we're going to become who God made us to be, it begins with starting over. And it begins like this. For God so loved the world. Interestingly enough, the word world in a Bible context really means that which is outside of him, that which is contrary to him. God so loved the people that didn't want him God so loved the sinner. God so loved the bad guy. God so loved the messed up lady. God God so loved those that had gone askew. God so loved those that were in active rebellion against him. God so loved the world. Whatever your definition of God is, he loves you. That's it. If you have any definition of him where he is not loving you, your definition is wrong. Yeah, but I'm a, I didn't ask what you are. I told you what he is. And he loves you. But I've done too much. He loves you. That's how it works. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The ultimate act of proof of what he just said. I love you. There's a lot of us who say an awful lot of stuff. I love you, but I can cheat on you. I love you, but I can cheat on you. I love you, but I'm gonna do this to you. You're, what are you gonna say to that person? Don't tell me, show me. Show me that you actively love me, that you are truly committed to me, that you are truly loyal to me. And he said, listen, I'm not going to be just talk. I'm all in. I'm going to go there personally, and I will die for you. What more could he do? What more could he say? I mean, that's it, right? I mean, he died. Is there a bigger thing he could have done? Could he have said a poem? Could he have, how is he going to get his love across to you? There's no other extreme way than to come in and do a massive rescue where he dies that you would be okay. Why did he die? To protect you? Because he knew that caterpillars aren't going to go to heaven, he knew you didn't have wings. He knew that where he lives, he needed his people with him. He knew that your sin was going to separate you. He knew that it was going to cancel out all the good stuff that you're doing. He knew that you were in a hopeless situation. So he did what no human being could do, went out of his way, went all the way down 
and died a humiliating death on the cross to make sure you're okay so you wouldn't die. That's the heart of a father. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, whoever, I thought, I thought it, like you need to give to the church and you need to be wealthy and you need to be the elite, right? I mean, you need to be intellectually sharp if you're gonna be a Christian or you need to, what, jump through these hoops or you need to, I'm sorry, didn't he say whoever? It's not just for the intelligent, it's not just for the wealthy. Christianity is for everyone. Whoever, whoever believes in him. This is the heart of the whole message. What does it mean to believe? I mean, it can't be like Santa Claus. Do you believe in Santa Claus? You know, that kind of thing. Do you believe in Santa? Okay, when you say, do you believe in Santa Claus? You're like, dude, I will believe in anything that gets me toys. Let's go. I'm in, right? Like, like I will check that box. I just want more toys. Let's go. But with Jesus, it's not, I believe that he's a guy. Because the word believe is more commonly translated faith. Faith means convinced, sure. See, faith means that you're going to live like it's true. You see, that's not just a, I believe in something. I believe the facts about something. It means I'm in. That's legitimate. That's belief. Whoever believes in Jesus Christ. Amen. Wow, amen. Firmly persuaded, right? What happens if you believe in him? That they should not perish, but have eternal life. That is a weird promise. You're not going to die. Now, this is bad salesmanship. Because as of right now, currently, death rates are hovering at 100%. Is, is that correct? I mean, you're like, hey, you'll never die. Boom, somebody died. You're like, whoa, you didn't, what do you mean never die? I think he has a different definition of death than we do. And I'm going to suggest to you he has a different definition of life than we do. Because here's what's weird about it. We consider ourselves alive as long as we're walking. And then when we die, we're dead. God doesn't play that. Here's why. He actually sees these two realities, walking dead and eternal life. Those are radically different than what we're talking about. It is not about whether your heart is beating or not. You could be fully functional walking around and you are dead spiritually and have no connection with your God. That's not alive. That's dead. You're just moving around, but you're dead. And then, when you get saved, when you give your life over to him, when he comes in and transforms you, it's like the appliance gets plugged into the wall and all the lights come on and it does what it was built to do. That happens now, not when you're dead. You can have a connection with your God right here, right now. It's not a matter of dying and getting to God. It's God already came here. You start that right now.
You see, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not die for real, but that they would be alive right now and forevermore. Huh. Then it says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Here's what it means. Jesus came the first time and he had one job. Rescue you. That was his whole job. Rescue you. And that's what he did. Now he's coming again. Everybody familiar with that? He's coming again. Next time he comes, there's a different task. It's called night, night, kids, let's go home. And if you're not in my house, you gotta stay in the dark, right? But when, the first, when he first came and for the last 2,000 years, it's a wide open call. Please come home and be safe. He's here to rescue you. That's what he's here for. Now, let's look at the other one. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. In other words, if Jesus isn't your Savior, what Savior do you have? Because he's the only one you got. It's not a matter of him even needing to condemn you. You're already a caterpillar. He's your only shot at becoming a butterfly. All he needs to do is do nothing, and you're not going to fly. But if you let him transform you, he can give you wings. Can I have the worship team come on out here? You see, what I wanted to do is I wanted to make sure that all of us understood what Jesus was offering that it wasn't an emotional response, it was just let's take some time and talk about it. Because the point is not I became a Christian because I was hyped up. I became a Christian because that guy was talking really good. Here's the reality. I'm a Christian because it's the only reality that makes sense. I'm a Christian because it's the only savior that showed up. I'm a Christian because caterpillars can't go to heaven and I need wings. Uh, I'm a Christian. You understand what I'm saying? I'm just trying to be practically honest about the supernatural with you. And so what we need to do is spend some time praying. I'm going to pray and then we actually our worship team has one more song that we get a chance to worship together in. But before we get there, I'm just going to pray for you. Right, because there's some of us that right now, in your spirit, in your heart, you know God's talking to you. You know for sure that, that you need someone to transform you. And there's only one wing giver, right? So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to pray about that. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we need you and your love to save us. You're the only one that matters. You're the only center of our universe. And God, we have tried to be the best caterpillars we know how to be. And we still can't fly. Lord, we don't, 
We don't want to live our lives disconnected from you. We want, Lord, if we were built to do great things, we want to be plugged into that power source. We want to be tied into you where your love flows down and our love flows to you, where we are united in relationship, that God, all of this, the belief, all that is based on relationship. It's learning to love you and allowing you to minister to us and, and us praising you back. So God, there's nothing more you could do to demonstrate your love to us. We recognize that now. And we wanna say, Yes. Yes to your overwhelming mercy. Yes to your overwhelming kindness. Yes to your cleansing of the deepest places within us. Yes to starting new. Yes to being born again. And Lord, we splay ourselves open and we say, God, you can take everything we made. It's all garbage anyway. That Lord, that we have walked apart from you. We have lived apart from you and it's not doing us any good. God, some of us, we are so moral, it makes our neighbors all look like Sodom and Gomorrah, and we still aren't connected to you. So God, right now, we open up our hearts and we say, Lord, let your love transform us. Let your love change our hearts. Let your love break the stone that is within us. That God, that we might be transformed by the power of your blood. That Jesus Christ, everything you did on the cross would become real for us. Lord, rescue us and save us. Take us into that quiet place, that, that cocoon where you begin to remake us into something we've never even seen before. Ignite us. Allow that power from heaven to flow right into us. That eternal life starts now. In the name of Jesus, we love you, Lord. We are so thankful for you. Jesus, we could never repay you, so we give you a life of praise. Be glorified today. In Jesus' name we pray.